Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? Welcome. This is the Breakfast with Champions podcast, one of the most unique, amazing, and powerful podcasts you'll ever come across in your entire life. Listen, we bring you motivation, education, and inspiration, and ultimately give you an opportunity to get a seat at the table, to hang out with some of those that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. What makes this podcast so unique and incredible is we have over a hundred different thought leaders that are constantly delivering amazing, over-the-top, powerful, and impactful content in bite-sized nuggets that you can absorb, take action on, and implement in your life. So with that said, make sure you filter through. There's going to be some of these thought leaders, these experts in their industries that you're ultimately gonna connect with. You're gonna totally, totally resonate. It's gonna totally be your vibe. And then there's gonna be other ones that you're gonna be like, eh, you know what? I like them, but I don't know if I love them. And that's what's great about Breakfast with Champions is we have something for everyone. So make sure you sift through, find the ones that you love, and know that they'll be coming back every single week to be able to deliver to you the motivation and education and inspiration that you need. With that said, my name is Glenn Lundy. I am your host. Super excited to connect with you. And let's kick off today's episode of Breakfast with Champions. incredibly honored uh, this evening or this afternoon. We're actually having dinner at brunch time is what I say to have the opportunity to not only introduce one of the sharpest, most incredible women I know, um, not only because she's been a mentor of mine for many, many years, but she is a author. She is a philanthropist. She's also a CEO, an entrepreneur, and she has done so much to advocate for justice throughout all the years that I've known her and probably before I was even born. I am so elated to introduce all of you to the phenomenal Deborah Watts. Let's give her a warm Breakfast with Champions welcome. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now, guys, before I dive into this amazing interview, I want you to look down on the bottom of your screen, push that plus button, and I mean it, click and put everybody in this room because she is about to educate us on things that many of us already know, but some of us have, may not have ever heard of, and this is a part of history that has touched not only your life, but many people in your world with the civil rights movement. So please um, ping in everybody you know to hear this segment, it's very important. Welcome, 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 Deborah Watts. You know I love you so much. Thank you for being here. Um, I just, I, I wanna start off uh, just by asking you a wonderful question. First of all, when did you develop just the passion to be the voice for your cousin, Emmett Till? Oh, well, uh, oh, first of all, let me just say thank you to you, <laughs> Dr. Rowe, for inviting me uh, to be a part of this fabulous uh, platform. It's always an honor and a privilege to have an opportunity to, to speak about uh, my passion, uh, my work, uh, my purpose, and hopefully the power 
uh, that uh, can go forth to to affect change. So I just want to thank you. So clap, clap, clap. <laughs> Let's give um, Dr. Roe a round of applause as well for uh, opening up this platform for so many wonderful people. And I'm just honored. Uh, but a, a wonderful question. Um, you know, um, my family has always um, come together for reunions and um, coming from the South, most of them were from the Hazelhurst, Mississippi area, along with the Delta area. And um, after they migrated to Detroit, Nebraska, places in Nebraska, uh, California, Chicago, uh, it was it was so important for us to come together. So uh, having an opportunity to participate in those family reunions uh, brought me in the company of, of Emmett's mother, his grandmother, and a host of other cousins, wonderful cousins uh, there in the Chicago area, area because most of our reunions were there. But um, what really propelled me to to move forward towards working towards um, uh, justice for Emmett was um, in 1988 um, or 89, I should say, Emmett Till's mother was invited to uh, the unveiling of the civil rights um, memorial that's in Montgomery, Alabama. And she was speaking, she was on the dais with uh, Coretta Scott King, Rosa Parks, Julian Bond, and so many others. And she summoned me to participate in that event. So beyond the reunions that I talked about, uh, this is when she, you know, who had be, had been speaking all across the country since 1955, since her, you know, ever since her son's uh, brutal murder and lynching, and her move to uh, make sure the world knew about what happened to him after she had an open casket funeral, she alone, you know, traveled with NAACP and and, and other organizations fi uh, fighting, you know, uh, for, for others' rights against the death penalty, uh, voting rights, uh, labor laws, all of those things. Um, but, you know, seeing her in Jet Magazine and in uh, other magazines and, and articles written about her, we always... Um, and, and I did after living in Nebraska, being in Nebraska, I should say, you know, would look at her from afar and just admire her courage. And when she summoned me <laughs> to join her in uh, Montgomery, I had to go. And um, she wrote this wonderful speech. I saw her move through the crowds with all of these legends, if you will, of the civil rights era, all of those who had sacrificed so much in their own lives. Uh, and I saw how she was admired, and I just knew that there was, I had to do something, you know, to help her. I wasn't quite sure at that time what I would do, but I did have an opportunity, a wonderful opportunity, uh, Dr. Rowe and your audience there, to connect with um, the children of Medgar Evers, um, the family of the four little girls who were, you know, killed in the bombing in, in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Martin Luther King's uh, family and others. And so we created this bond, if you will, from way back then, you know, as cousins, families, if you will, of the movement. And so in 1998, um, I, after leaving corporate America, I wrote a book called 101 Ways to Know You're Black in Corporate America. And I asked Mamie to write the foreword of my book. 
you know, after helping her to write her speech in, in you know, in, in 89 and uh, working with her a little bit on, you know, looking at scripts that people would send her. Um, and, you know, just from afar, though, having that opportunity. But after I wrote the book and she drew these analogies between uh, the discrimination, uh, racism, uh, that could just impede the progress, of whether it's an institution families or communities and she um, related that to corporate America as well as it relates to her son's um, light life being taken away because of uh, of racism and white supremacy so um, that was 98 when I wrote the book and then um, she unfortunately fought for 47 years to get Emmett Till's case reopened um, because the um, the murderers, uh, the two murderers that were um, held responsible, uh, they were acquitted of Emmett's murder. Emmett was only 14 at the time when he was lynched in 1955. And so after seeing her fight um, and not achieve uh, getting that case reopened, she died in 2003. Then I knew I had to do something. So in 2005, uh, we started the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation. And I'll tell you, uh, Dr. Rowe, that, you know, as a family member, you really don't have um, the blueprint, you know, of how do you, you know, what do you do? What what kind of value can you bring? Uh, what more can you do to bring justice? There's no blueprint for that. And because of the statute of limitations on many of, particularly Emmett Till's murder, um, there weren't any resources available for us. Um, you know, the civil rights uh, movement um, was actually launched. It was galvanized. Those people were galvanized because of Emmett Till's murder in 1955. So you had Rosa Parks uh, about 100 days after Emmett's murder. She sat down, you know, uh, so we could stand up. And so we have, in many different, uh, uh, I guess, occasions, have risen because of the pain, because of our grief. And to be able to figure out what you do through your pain and grief is, is, is something. You know, it's, it doesn't just come overnight. So that's, that's really where my, my, my passion, uh, uh, you know, was driven because of Mamie, because of her courage. And because of her uh, inability to really move things, she moved people forward, she moved institutions forward, but what is still um, an elusive thing for us, and it's unfortunate, justice delayed is justice denied, because Emmett Till's case uh, was um, actually reopened in 2004, and mind you, I just said that she died in 2003. It was reopened in 2004. There was an investigation. Um, it was given to uh, Joyce Childs, an African-American uh, DA in Mississippi. Uh, she held a grand jury in 2007. Uh, this diverse mix of individuals decided that there was no true bill, no more charges would be brought against any of the living accomplices at that time. So um, we still stand here today uh, after that case was was reopened or reinvestigated I should say we stand here today um, again uh, the case 
you know, no true bill, 2007, 2017, we fast forward to a book that was written by an author by the name of Timothy Tyson, professor, um, out of, I believe it was either Duke or North Carolina, uh, a, a university in North Carolina. Um, and he indicated that 10 years before he had interviewed, um, the woman who accused Emmett Till of uh, making sexually uh, explicit advances towards her and touching her, um, uh, she he he indicated that she had recanted her story. That went all across the news cycle, uh, made headlines. Timothy Tyson did a number of interviews on major major uh, TV stations, and he indicated that he got. Uh, Carolyn Bryant to talk, and which was something she really had not done for, what, 60 years or so? And so um, here we stand today. Um, the FBI, uh, the Department of Justice, uh, decided to reinvestigate the, the case once again. So here we sit, 66 years, Dr. Rowe, uh, still uh, hoping for truth, justice, and accountability in Emmett Till's case. So I hope your your audience um, can follow me a little bit and just in terms of who Emmett was and maybe they do uh, know who he was, what happened in 1955, and where we are today. But it, it's a long story. It's been a 66-year journey, and uh, that's where my passion lies today in trying to achieve what Mamie was not able to, to get, and that is truth, justice, and accountability for, for Emmett Hill. Thank you so much, and we appreciate you even taking the time to go back through that painful time, even for you as a child and for some of us who weren't even born yet and others who have been born who know the story. But that leads into my next question, uh, do you find the absence of knowledge about who Emmett Till actually is when you go around and advocate to like schools, universities, corporations? And if so, um, how does that make you feel? And then can you just tell people honestly, like who Emmett Till really is? Well, um, great question. Um, I, you know, I, I look at, you know, it is an opportunity because there's so many uh, it, well, first of all, it's not part of our American history. You know, you won't find uh, Emmett's name in uh, any of the curriculums that are in uh, our junior highs uh, and high schools or college. Um, and so there is this absence of that being, uh, which is a turning point in our in our American history, uh, that being not there, you know, so so I, I do understand because our uh, education system has excluded that huge piece of history. So, Rolanda, I look at it as, as, as an opportunity, you know, when we do um, have a chance to share our story. And what we do, we, we have a documentary that is uh, entitled Who Killed Emmett Till? And in that documentary, we tell the story of Emmett. But we just don't dwell there on the tragedy that happened to him. We talk about the time, the era, um, the lack of voting rights for many of those in uh, the, the county where, where Emmett was murdered. We talk about the, um, the 
so-called confession of the two murderers, uh, which appeared in Look Magazine, and they were paid for that. We also talk about the, the journey going forward and how uh, justice delayed is justice den denied and how Emmett's case is just one among many of those during the civil rights era um, that have never achieved any justice. So it's, an, it's a wonderful opportunity. I mean, it's, it's a little frustrating at times, but I have to look at it as, you know, a, a opportunity to share the story, to make this connection between our family uh, and our journey and the work that we've done and that we are doing to, to share the story of Emmett and then to talk about what we need to do going forward and hopefully encourage those just like uh, during the civil rights era to figure out how they can get involved. And so we um, gather uh, students, ambassadors, and others all across the country in their um, in their interest, you know, we pique their interest. And also many of them have done documentaries, um, they've written books, they've done exhibits. So it has inspired them, you know, uh, to, uh, to, to look deeper in terms of what Emmett Till's case and what his story means uh, to our American history and what it means to how we are in our country and what DNA we have in our country, which I consider, you know, racism, white supremacy is part of our DNA, but also an opportunity to, you know, treat it as a cancer, if you will, and figure out how we need to, to, um, to eliminate, you know, to eliminate it and what kind of medication or, um, uh, how can I say that, uh, you know, what measures we need to take to, to eliminate it. And I know that's, that's a high, that's a high um, assignment, if you will, and one that I think many of us have tried to tackle, but it is still one that we need to, we need to approach. But Emmett was a vibrant young man uh, raised by uh, his mother, Mamie Till Mobley, uh, in Chicago. He was born uh, July 25th, uh, 1941. So this year would have been his 80th birthday had he lived. He was, um, his, his father went off to um, World War II uh, and he didn't have a good relationship with him because he was, he was gone for a period of years. And so he developed, and as he grew, he developed this close relationship with his mother. They were almost like brothers and sisters. He was a, her helpmate. He was a, um, a child who had polio early uh, and had a speech impediment that, you know, was something that his mother really tried to to help him uh, through. And it but it did not prevent him from being the charismatic uh, person with this personality, loved to dress, had a lot of swag. Uh, it didn't prevent him from being uh, the, uh, the young man that he was growing into be. Um, so he uh, had an opportunity as growing up in a small area in the Chicago area called Summit Argo uh, area uh, to move, you know, to the big city, to Chicago. And um, after moving, you know, he, he just missed, you know, some of the relatives. We have a street there in Argo where we have relatives on both sides of the street. So you can imagine what kind of uh, environment he grew up in. You know, he'd 
look to the left, he'd have his grandmother, look across the street, he'd have a cousin or, you know, someone um, that was more like a brother, but, but cousins, because he was an only child. So vibrant young man, had a lot a life of life ahead of him. Um, Emmett uh, had a chance to to travel to Mississippi to visit some relatives. He and our cousin Wheeler Parker were almost like brothers. Wheeler's a couple years older than than Emmett, and his grandfather came to visit and was uh, involved in a funeral uh, service. He was a minister involved in the funeral service, and he was heading back, you know, to the Delta area in Mississippi. Wheeler was going, and of course Emmett wanted to go. So Emmett's uh, mother, you know, of course hesitant because at the, at the time, 1955, was not the place for uh, outspoken uh, young men from the North uh, to travel because if you didn't understand the unwritten rules, you could lose your life. And um, Emmett, of course, won that battle. He was able to visit uh, with his uh, cousins, uh, stayed there for a few days, and uh, uh, there, you know, the infamous, the infamous uh, incident happened uh, where Emmett whistled at uh, the store owner, um, Carolyn Bryant Donham, uh, owner of the Bryant uh, Grocery and Meat Market, and uh, a few days after that, uh, Emmett was uh, kidnapped. Um, and uh, murdered uh, at age 14, never to return to Chicago again, never to return to his mother, never to return to the life uh, that he uh, was promised, if you will, and never to have the kind of future that um, his mother was hoping that he would have. So that's a little bit about who Emmett was and a little bit about what happened to him. Thank you so much. And I know that's painful. Every time I see that video or even the images and pictures of how strong uh, Mamie was to have her son's casket open like that and to see what happened, it just makes me just sick to my stomach. And I know that it must um, do the same to your family, and which is one of the reasons why you continue to be the warrior you are for justice. Um, I, I want to give a shout out to your sister from another, Mr. Rolanda Watts just came on the stage. I, um... <laughs> Hi, Rolanda. Hi, my, my two, I can't even believe this. Hello, everybody. I'm Rolanda Watts. And what's so weird is I connect with both of these sisters from both of my names, which is so weird. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Roe, Rolanda, Rolanda, and, and, oh, it is such a joy to meet you, Deborah. At Dr. Rose speaks so highly of you, and we both carry the last name. Yeah, and you know Watts means brave warrior. Watts Watts was one of the first clans of Scotland, and it means brave warrior. So, you have certainly come from a family of that, a legacy of that, and a remembrance that we are called to duty to do that. That silence is not enough. And we've seen that so much in some sweeping gains in the past uh, couple of years in that amazing, just, just a couple of years. And we have a long way to go, as we always say. But at the same time, I'm so happy to see the new faces of the new warriors who are joining the forces and the courage that it, you know, you know, we always talk, go to Dr. Maya Angelou when we say the word courage. And, you know, she always said the courage is the greatest of all virtues because without courage, you can't exhibit or exude any other virtue with consistency. You can't be kind with consistency. 
You can't love with consistency. But the courage it took for that mother to have her child shown to the world that way, for the courage it took for the journalist at that day to cover, even as a journalist myself, to cover that story. You know, you really had to fight to cover that story back in the day. So all of that train, I would call it the train of courage. And so it leads us back to our Wattsisms, lady, and I and the Rolandaisms. We go Rolanda territory and, and with some Watts power, and I love it. And you know, I and I'm a big fan of Dr. Rose, so I just uh, I I appreciate this bicentennial moment, if you will. But um, you know, let 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 the light stand as one for courage, and I think that's something we can all use in this day and time, and um, let that light shine. I'm so blessed to be here, and I thank you so much. I'm Rolanda, and I am complete until you need me again. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to to connect with you, and thank you for uh, the information regarding the name. I think sometimes we're warriors in our own way anyway, regardless, because we have to, particularly as women. There's something that we uh, do uh, that calls us to action and calls us to attention, whether it's our children, community, and others, that I think we, we you know, and not, not to downplay men and their wonderful, uh, you know, character, but there's something about what women do and what and how we move forward. And, I, and it is it has to be that little piece of that warrior in us, in each of us. So it's a pleasure to meet you as well. Thank you so much. This is epic. <laughs> awesome. I'm, uh, I'm so excited. Awesome. So can you tell us, Deborah, what is the greatest blessing that has actually come from you leading the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation? Oh, wonderful question. Uh, you know, there's been so many, uh, Dr. Rowe. I just, um, I think just uh, having the longevity that we've had uh, the blessing to have uh, the kinds of people that have poured into uh, our organization um, from time to time, those that um, uh, understand, you know, what, what is required, um, and those that open doors for us, um, provide platforms for us. Because, you know, as a family, and I'll tell you, um, uh, as it relates to those that are uh, the victims of, of, of racially motivated murders, there's uh, a list of about 152 names on the Department of Justice cold case uh, list. And it is in Emmett's name, actually. It's the Emmett Till um, cold case, uh, the civil rights, I'm sorry, Emmett Till civil rights uh, cases. Um, there's 152 names. So none of us have uh, a blueprint, if you will, on how to fight, you know, how to uh, make sure that our loved ones' names and their deaths are not in vain and their names are, are uh, not forgotten. And so as we, you know, muddle through, uh, whether it's legal, from a civil case to judicial cases, um, we need a lot of help and support. And so that has come. That has come in a lot of different ways. Um, so those are the blessings, along with some of the media outlets that have allowed us to continue to amplify Emmett's name, to continue to uh, talk about what's needed today, uh, and that is justice, uh, and to 
uh, help us uh, move forward with, with the kind of resources that we need. And they come sometimes from the oddest places, uh, whether it's a celebrity or whether it's someone that just was reading something and became inspired. So those are, those are truly the blessings. But I have to also say that the spirit of Emmett Till and the spirit of Mamie Till Mobley uh, continue to, I think, pour into our work with the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation. And it is it's something that that is driving all of, you know, all of what we do. And it is part of our character and who we are. And I'd like to share a quote with you that Mamie Till Mobley uh, uh, said at the unveiling of the Civil Rights Memorial. And it is really that blessing. And that's what drives us. And I think it would be a, a bit of inspiration also for your for your audience. But uh, can I can I share this with you? Your of course, go ahead. Um, what she said, and this is again part of our part of our mission and part of uh, our blessing as well. But she said we cannot afford the luxury of self pity. Our top priority now is to get on with the building process. My personal peace has come through helping boys and girls reach beyond the ordinary and strive for the extraordinary. We must teach our children to weather the hurricanes of life, pick up the pieces, and rebuild. We must impress upon our children that even when troubles rise to 7.1 on life's Richter scale, they must, be, they must be anchored so deeply that though they sway, they will not topple. If that's not a blessing, <laughs> if that's not some direction, if that's not how we need to move forward and a sense of responsibility. I don't know what is, but it inspires us. It inspires our work. It inspires me personally. And I think it's been an inspiration for many others as well. That's the Absolutely. blessing. Yes, it, 100%. I'm with you on this. And speaking of social media, I know that Tay Diggs had jumped on board and he gave the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation's Twitter page a boost when you went from 3,500 to over 60,000 with his yeah. help. So that was amazing. And I'm, I'm so proud of him for doing that. What can we do, like other people right here in Breakfast with Champions, do to ensure that we amplify the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation on or off social media? Oh, well, you know, Rolanda, and, and thank you for asking that. Um, you know, we have right now a uh, couple of things that we're doing. Well, more than a couple of things. But, and, you uh, you know, as a small organization, you'll probably say at the end of this, how do they do all this? But that's why your question is wonderful. Well, one of the things right now, we are still fighting for justice for Emmett Till. And we do have a petition out there where we're appealing to our attorney general, of the United States, our president, vice president, along with the DA in Mississippi, who has this case in his hands, along with the Department of Justice, we're appealing to them to demand uh, justice for Emmett Till and that they charge the last living accomplice, and that's Carolyn Bryant Donham, with murder. And we have that opportunity. We have a petition. Uh, it can be accessed through text. You can text Emmett. E-M-M-E-T-T -T to 243-725, and that's Emmett, 
to 243-725 and you'll access that petition. If they can sign that, that would be wonderful because we are appealing to all of those and really trying to encourage them to move forward with this case. It's 66 years old. Um, Carolyn Bryant Donham is 87 years of age right now. And we are still pushing for truth, justice, and accountability. And I really, truly think that that would be, would help us on the road to healing, as we did with George Floyd's case. You know, it kind of gave us an opportunity to exhale somewhat. And because Emmett's case, 66 years old, we have generations of individuals that are still holding their breath because of Emmett's case, still traumatized by his murder, that I think we can move forward. Uh, with it, with with a with the um, the indictment of Carolyn Bryant Donham. So, if your audience could join us with that, that would be great. The other thing is, we do have, um, and I you may have heard about the anti lynching bill right now that has been introduced in the House of Representatives. It's HR fifty five. We need to encourage your senators uh, and your uh, congressional representatives to pass that to move forward. Support. Uh, the legislation that Congressman Bobby Rush has put forth. Um, it, it needs to pass. We still can lynch people <laughs> legally in our country. We do not have a federal bill against lynching. So H.R. 55 is, is something that I think needs to pass. And I believe anyone can write to their congressman, senator, and ask them to support it. The other um, thing is we do have in Minnesota, I live in Minnesota, we do have HF 2586, which is the Emmett Lewis Till Victims Recovery Program. And we are using that as a model for other uh, states. Um, it is a way to empower the families of the victims because, Rolanda, there are no laws that protect the families. We have figured out how to protect uh, from the Holocaust area, 9-11 victims. You know, these are horrible things that happened. And we have stood up for those families, stood in solidarity with them, and we figured out how to help them. The civil rights era murders and the racially motivated murders, those families have nothing, no resources, nothing in the courts, and they are looking forward to uh, building memorials, uh, having a, a chance to get some sort of mental health support, uh, culturally specific and spiritually specific um, uh, uh, trauma support uh, for those families. Uh, and that includes ours, you know, as well. The other thing, too, is we um, are always looking for a way to honor and to, to uh, remember Emmett Till. We have commemoration events both on his birth date and the date that he died, August 28th, which uh, we just, um, uh, I guess, recognized the March on Washington. But that was the same date that Emmett Till was murdered. And so as you, if you follow us on social media, uh, which would be something I'd love your audience to do, Twitter, uh, we're at Emmett Till. Uh, Instagram, we're Emmett Till Legacy Foundation, and also on Facebook, you will see opportunities where you can support both if you want to make a donation or to amplify our voices uh, or to even join us uh, as we uh, do those commemorations. Uh, the other thing we have going on, uh, too, is a scholarship for uh, those 
young people that we talked about that are missing some of this critical information in their history. And so we uh, want to make sure that we push forward, as, as Mamie Till said in, in that speech and that quote that I shared with you, we got to make sure that they're anchored so deeply that though they sway that they don't topple. And one of those ways is pouring into their education and making sure that they have a chance to go to college, that they have a chance, you know, to matriculate through that, uh, that environment and move forward in their lives. So that's something. Then um, November 23rd, we will be um, commemorating the 100th centennial birthday for Mamie Till Mobley, our, my Shiro and many other Shiro as well. Uh, Mamie decided to have an open casket funeral. That woke up the world. She wanted the world to see what hate did. She wanted the world to see what happened to her 14-year-old only son. And I'll tell you, um, one of the things that we say, Rolanda, is that, you know, Emmett whistled, Carolyn lied, Emmett died, Rosa, or I'm sorry, um, Mamie opened the casket, Rosa sat down so we could stand up. So those are <laughs> the, the way that we make these connections. And we truly feel that the past is not past until justice is served. And we try to connect the past to the present and future. Also, inviting us in to your platforms, we have a couple of documentaries that we can share. And then because of our uniqueness in terms of family and our unique perspective, we can pull together our former FBI investigator, other filmmakers, family members, and others who have a unique perspective to what happened to Emmett and then what we're doing today. And we hope our life and what we're doing can move uh, things forward for others in solidarity with those other families as well, but then also move forward, you know, in their lives. We do sponsor a women's empowerment symposium called Loving from the Inside Out, and we're hoping to launch that again because of COVID. We weren't able to do it, but hopefully uh, launch that again in uh, 2022. So those are just a few things uh, that um, we need help with. And I hope that um, you can join us in moving justice forward for Emmett. That's what we call justice. Absolutely. And I'm sure others have many questions for you. So before I do that, um, I did want to just touch on briefly, you talked about um, the case being reopened and how Carolyn Bryant did lie on Emmett Till. And that is known, but yet it's kind of shoved under the rug. Yes. What outcome would you and the foundation like to see from this? Well, we um, we feel that uh, just like any other uh, accomplice to someone's murder, they need to be held accountable for it. So we want to make sure that Carolyn Bryant is, is indicted. Uh, there needs to be either another grand jury held or charges brought against her from Dwayne Richardson, who is the DA right now in Mississippi that uh, has the responsibility of moving this case forward in that county, along with the DOJ. Um, so if, 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 if that's your, your question, that's pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward what we want from a justice perspective. Um, when we look at federal legislation and look at uh, local legislation, um, we also feel that empowering the families of the victims is so important. And so 
uh, that HF 2586 and our proposal called VERMA, Victims of Racially Motivated Murder Act, would be a part of justice, you know, moving justice forward as well. Does that answer your, your question? It does. Basically, no, get out of free jail card. Just go straight no. to jail, no matter if you're 80 years old or not, right? Well, the other thing I want to say is that there have been uh, some of our celebrities that, you know, well, let me just put it this way. There's been a lot of uh, misinformation out there. And so part of when we talk about truth, justice, and accountability is that we want the truth. And so um, we try to dispel myths. Number one, Carolyn Bryant did not die. She did not confess. <laughs> she is still alive and has never been held accountable for being an accomplice in Emmett Till's murder. Uh, one of our famous, very famous comedians did a whole, uh, I would say, segment, you know, on Emmett and just told the world that that Emmett, uh, that, uh, main, or excuse me, that Carolyn Bryant died and confessed on her deathbed, which is totally wrong. So we don't want to... Um, throw those people under the rug, but we do know that it's so critically important for people to understand why we're fighting. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, that happened a long time ago. Why are you still talking about this? You know, there, it has nothing to do with what happens today. And we are firm in our, in saying it does have something to do today because it, there's this through line that goes from, well, even before Emmett, of course, connecting Emmett to even those racially motivated murders, police uh, accountability murders, and things that are happening today. So we've connected with the George Floyd family, with Breonna Taylor's family and others. And we stand in solidarity with each of them because we know there is this connection. And that's the kind of thing that's part of our DNA, whether it's institutionalized or whether it's part of our culture that we need to eliminate in this country. So Carolyn, yes, is alive. Carolyn has written, Carolyn Bryant Donham has written some memoirs. Those memoirs, according to Timothy Tyson, are not due to be released until 2036. Let's do the math. She's about 87 now. <laughs> Will she be alive in 2036? Probably not. So here we sit with I think our country having a hard time of holding a white woman account, uh, accountable for the murder of a young black man. She was involved. So with that, let's stand up. Let's have this kind of courage. And I, and I just hope that Carolyn has the kind of courage that Mamie had, that she does at some point uh, hold herself accountable uh, allowing uh, the, the country, our family, to really understand what happened, to set the record straight, and to be and to hold herself uh, and to place herself in and uh, I'd say in the area of, of of responsibility and accountability of Emmett's murder. She knows her role, so it's not like we're saying you know uh, we there's no hate coming from our family. We want the law to work like it works for everybody else. Let's let it work in this case. And I think it will allow our country to be on this road to healing because this is a pain and a stain that has been with us for 66 years. So that's several different generations. And that is there. And people can, people, some people remember that moment 
that they saw that that picture that was in Jet magazine because uh, the media, as, as Rolanda Watts had mentioned, they covered the black media covered uh, and published Emmett's remains. They were horrific. Emmett was in the water for three days. Fourteen-year-old young man who was shot in the head. He was beaten. He was lynched. They put a 75-pound cotton gin fan, tied it around his neck with, with barbed wire, and threw him in the Tallahatchie River at age 14. So we and, and our country and the Emmett Till generation, they remember. And people like yourself, Rolanda, you remember, you understand, you saw the pictures. And so the media did a wonderful job of amplifying that, but it was traumatizing for an entire country. And it's still traumatizing today. So we're saying, you know, Carolyn Bryant Donham, hold yourself accountable. Mississippi, let's move forward towards justice, not just profiting off of Emmett's murder with tourism. Let's talk about justice first. And let's make sure that we have a, ch a chance to heal as a country and do all the work that we've been talking about as we move forward. So I just, you know, uh, there's no hate against Carolyn. We just want justice to work. We want truth, accountability, and justice. Amen. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to recount all of that about your cousin and Phil. And I do want to give the audience an opportunity to have questions. But before I do that, and King, I see you flashing. I want to introduce you to one of my special friends here on Breakfast of Champions. And she is a warrior for Emmett Till and many others and definitely fights for civil rights, for justice, period. And if you refresh your page um, or just pull to refresh, you should see her right next to me, Vernita is in the middle there from Brooklyn, New York, the one and only Bernita, meet my dear mentor and friend, Deborah Watts. Oh, good afternoon, Deborah. Well, I was going to say, Dr. Rowe, uh, it has been a few months, but Deborah, you and I had a chance to meet in the early days of Clubhouse. It's a, such a pleasure to have you here this afternoon. Um, thank you for the work that you do for recounting, for speaking truth, I think this is such an important conversation because to your point, it's about the way forward. Yes. Uh, and it's about healing. And, and Ro, to, to your point, I think that uh, as we talk about this next stage of the movement towards racial equity, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, recounting history that I very much see it as this is a human rights movement. It goes, you know, taking the step beyond civil rights to human rights and how to organize our history with the, uh, the reference, not just the reference, but just the, the guiding, the, the guiding force, the guiding lights of the Emmett Till of the world, because it's like one of the things that made those uh, story so powerful were, were those images yes. was the media coverage and there were so there are so many black bodies that got captured or by in the press so it's like this one of many 
many stories, but this one is so powerful because of that that media. The last piece around that, I think that in, in regards to accountability, um, I think it's important because it's still happening now. You know, yes. you know, it, it may not be Carolyn today, but it's like it's the Amy Coopers of today. And understanding historically the the power that white women have had over black bodies simply by saying something happened or that they felt some kind of way mm-hmm. without have had an actual incident occur. It is the power of simply being able to say I had harm and that and so um, there, there's definitely a great deal of work to be done um, and I hear on and off Clubhouse I'm deeply rooted in equity and inclusion and anti-racism space. I run a club here on Clubhouse called uh, America's Hot Sauce of which the most recent room this week was are all liberal white women Karen's undercover, as we talk about navigating allyship when that allyship only goes so far. So I think there's um, definitely appreciate being here. I'll ye- yield the mic there and, and look forward to being a part of the rest of the conversation. And uh, a pleasure to meet you again, Deborah. And look yes, <laughs> and you too, Renita. Thank you so much. And thank you for your comments. I appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. so much, Renita. So glad that you got to connect with uh, Miss Deborah again. King, uh, go ahead and ask your question. I've seen you flashing. First of all, Dr. I just want to thank you for pinging me into this room. I really don't have a question, but Miss Deborah, I've been looking for you ever since 2005. I'm the soldier that got wrongfully jumped and assaulted in his military uniform by Officer Benjamin Fields, who was the same officer who assaulted the young lady at Spring Valley High School. I was wrongfully facing 10 years in jail for the color of my skin, and I've been fighting ever since that day. I still haven't had my justice, but it's just not about me. When you say that legacy continues of it happening to people, I'm just one of the people that has continued to happen too. So however I can be a part of what you're doing, I want to be a part of it. However I can speak, however I can use my voice, I'm an actor, I'm a director. So all those different things that you were naming that you are interested in and doing, I do all of that. I made a, I, I, I took my situation and instead of going to get a gun and doing something stupid, I wrote a book, which is a five-star book on Amazon. And then I turned that book into an award-winning film that has been selected in 23 different film festivals. I've done interviews with Jake Tapper and Chris Cuomo. So uh, however, please, please use me. I'm with all the smoke. I promise you that. And I'm an amazing speaker. So whatever I can do for our people to honor our ancestors to create a better future, I am with all the smoke. I've been looking for you. This is King Jacqueline Martin. Look in the mirror. Mm. Wow, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And I guess I've been looking for you too because uh, we need people that are able to use their, whether it's their platforms, their skills, their character, and wherever they are, whatever space that you're in, we just want to encourage people just to remember Emmett Till. Remember what happened and connect the dots. Connect the past to the present and the future because there is some relevance. And if we fail to do that, then we failed our future because we're not making the connection. So I would just encourage you as you are moving forward, whether it's on your book tours or movies and all the wonderful things that you're doing to make that connection. You know, to draw that to make people see that things are continuing, whether it's your own story. But if you can just reference Emmett Till, 
that would that would just make us uh oh gosh i mean that that would make this our journey uh forward and it would make the connection from the past to the present and future more relevant to everyone black white indifferent you know it, do, it doesn't matter and i think that that uh, if you could do that that would be wonderful the other thing i do want to say is that um we uh you know there there there's so much going forward and we you know as a family unit and leading an organization i have to make sure that i understand three p's uh the purpose of whatever it is i'm doing making sure it's in alignment with with what i'm trying to accomplish the process of which things need to happen and then the payoff and I'm going to tell you that's one of the key things that most of our families have a really hard time de defining for ourselves because as you know uh, when others are making profit and money off of your loved ones uh, or your own story it's okay but when you can't resource your goals and what you're trying to do or when you're trying to do that off of your loved one, or at least making those connections, people have a hard time with that. So those are things that I always ask people that want to work with us, the purpose, the process, and the payoff. How does it benefit our goals and how we're moving forward? That's how we make mutually beneficial relationships. Just we make them, we put them on fire. We, 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 Eliminate that smoke. I mean, we illuminate that smoke, if you will. But thank you. Thank you so much. I know that uh, TM has a comment. So does um, Mary Lynn. And I see Jeff. And I think I saw Linda before. If I'm wrong, let me know. So in that order, TM, uh, Mary Lynn, Jeff, and then Linda. Thank you so much, Dr. Rowe. Um, good evening, champions. Uh, TM Hammond speaking. Uh, Deborah, thank you so much for educating us. Um, you talked about a bill, um, or actually you said an act, I believe, that uh, you were trying to get passed through legislation. Um, tons of apathy, right, towards, I think, you know, the system, you know, voting, uh, the importance of voting, but, but legislation is extremely important, right? Uh, can you help us to understand your process uh, for the act that you're trying to get passed, and can you can you just reinforce how important it is for our contributions uh, in getting bills established? Uh, because I recognize what what you're trying to do is extremely important. And again, thanks for being here, TM, and I'm complete. Mm, thank you, thank you. Great question. Well, I'll tell you, you know, being a family member and not having um the process down it is it's been it's been quite a journey i'm just going to tell you you have to have a lot of patience but you do have to build relationships with those on both sides of the aisle you do have to make sure that you understand um what you really want you have to define that in your mind it can't be just an idea you have to spell it out uh, so um, one of those is uh, that we were successful in getting was a reauthorization of the Emmett uh, Till victims, or excuse me, it's called the Emmett Till Civil Rights uh, Cold Case uh, Initiative. That was uh, a bill that was reauthorized by uh, President Obama, signed into law by President Obama, which allows for the DOJ 
and FBI to investigate cold cases. And it brings in resources, other resources, uh, ten, about $10 million a year, which, by the way, has never been appropriated. So you can have a bill. You can have the wonderful language that's there. It could be on the books. But if there's no appropriation of the dollars, there's no movement forward. So that process, you know, it, it involves beyond just getting the bill done, which is, you know, a, a big, huge task within itself. But you have to find a champion, uh, both on the House and the Senate side. John Lewis was our champion, uh, Congressman John Lewis, for the, the Reauthorization Act. Uh, he was also uh, a part of uh, the anti-lynching uh, before he passed. Uh, but finding that champion, that person that or that congressional uh, person that can help you move things forward. So it takes some time, takes uh, defining and then also uh, working it, you know, making sure that, you know, you're communicating with others. You're helping to build uh, build um, the coalitions, you know, around it, whether it's those inside uh, the House, uh, the White House, uh, uh, Congress and outside. A lot of work, a lot of patience that's needed, but it can be done. Uh, the one that we are working on right now, we just have a proposal, and it's called the Victims of Racially Motivated Murder Act. And that one right now, our process right now, we've created a one-pager. We have uh, put together some research, uh, 14th Amendment violations. Um, we have tied that all together, and now we're looking for a champion. Uh, one in the House and one in the Senate to help us draft the language and the legislation that uh, can be easily understood where it's, you know, crossed against uh, statutes and there's, uh, whether it's a budget that's needed to, to put it for, put forth, we need a legislative director and a legislative aide and, and some champions, um, on some champion staff to make sure that that happens. So we're looking for that lucky person right now. So if you know someone in your city or in your state uh, from a congressional perspective that can help us. We're just at the beginning stages of that, even though we started this in uh, 2019. Uh, but I, you know, with patience, you, you do have to, you know, continue to work it. HF 2586, which is the Emmett Lewis Till Victims Recovery Program, we hit a home run. Now we have um, on the House side, and we have a companion bill on the Senate side. That is a local Minnesota um, uh, bill, uh, and that is to empower the, the families of the victims. Now we have to work the process. We have to build the coalitions. We have to build the momentum. We have to educate. Uh, we have to do hearings uh, and to make sure that this passes. So um, in a nutshell, that's, that's the work. Um, that's what's needed, uh, at least from our perspective. And um, not many of us have been that successful. I'll put it, I'll just say that to you because we don't have that blueprint, right? We, we just don't. So we're always looking for the resources and the champions that understand it both inside, you know, Congress and even outside of Congress. So I hope that answered your question, Tina. Oh, man, that, that, that was unbelievable. And I'll say Bobby Scott, uh, Bobby Scott has been um, an advocate um, that I've worked with in the past out of Virginia, and I'm here in, in Atlanta and, mm. and would, would love to share uh, a few names that I think would, would be honored to rally around this. But thank you very much. Uh, oh, Rolanda, we see you. Dr. Rowe, I, I love you. Appreciate this. Thank you.
thank you for coming in and supporting and also for supporting Deborah in these efforts and the foundation. I also want to shout out her other foundation members um, that were in the room. I'm not sure if they're still in here, but they just were. I saw Tony and uh, Terry in here uh, earlier, Deborah. So I forgot to shout them out when I saw them because I thought they were just going to sit here. But if you meet Miss Deborah in person, her, her standing with her daughters, they all look like they're 25 years old, all, all of them. So <laughs> it's just, just a beautiful family um, indeed and a great uh, foundation. So thank you so very much. Um, okay, so let me go to the next person who I had in the queue. That was Mary Lynn. Go ahead, Mary Lynn. Hi, thank you so much. I will be short. I'm cognizant of the time, but thank you, Dr. Rowe, and what a privilege to be able to speak with you, Deborah. I was shocked, but not that you said that it's not being, the story is not being taught in schools anymore. I know this story, and thank God when you told the story, I did have it all right. I text my 25-year-old son right away, no explanation. Do you know who Emmett Till is? Thank goodness I did my job. He texts back, of course, but I have two young nieces. So I was wondering what one resource do you approve that you think tells the true story that I could share with my preteen nieces or youth in general? Well, um, I, <laughs> I have to be very honest with you. You know, the, the truth, uh, dispelling the myths is coming from our family. Uh, many of our family members are... Um, uh, not many, but uh, Wheeler Parker, for instance, who was uh, who traveled from Chicago to uh, Mississippi with Emmett. He is 82. He's still speaking out. He's writing a book right now. Um, and he um, has done a lot of different uh, talks around it and dispels the myths. Um, our organization, uh, we have a program called The Power of History, Turning Tragedy into Triumph. And uh, we focus in on middle school and high school students. Um, we were fortunately funded uh, the first three months of the year by a major uh, media. And uh, we're able to do that program for three months. Uh, but that also is something that we continue when we go to colleges and universities. So we're invited into homes. We're invited into churches. We're invited into schools. So we would uh, love a, a large audience if possible. And we do it via Zoom because of COVID, uh, where we show our documentary. And then we engage with the young people because it's so important to hear from them, hear their questions. We share our story from our perspective. We dispel the myths. We talk about our journey. And it does something for a young person to see that we're still fighting, that we're not giving up. And so it helps to inspire and encourage them as well. So I would say, you know, uh, inviting us to be a part of maybe a, a school assembly would be wonderful. Uh, that would be a great resource. Um, and I would just have to be to to be selfish and just say, you know, we have we have the story, we have the the truth. <laughs> you know, there are some uh, resources, though. I I'll, I would admit. There are some resources out there and researchers that have done a lot of work. They've studied the transcripts of the trial. Uh, they've written some books about it. I believe Florida State University has archives there that are good for research, or, or and I believe you can access them online to dig a little deeper 
you know, into the case um, and what happened, you know, with Emmett and even uh, what's happening today. Uh, Keith Beauchamp, who's a filmmaker right now, uh, shooting a film in Atlanta uh, called Till. Uh, it's a movie where um, uh, Whoopi Goldberg is playing Emmett Till's grandmother, my cousin Alma. And another wonderful actress is playing Mamie Till Mobley, Emmett's mother. And they're shooting right now in, in, in Atlanta. And it's an MGM film, uh, which uh, I'm looking forward for that to, to come out. But we show Keith's documentary called The Untold Story of Emmett Lewis Till. So we can always assemble, whether it's um, the clubhouse group here, the breakfast club group, and do a virtual um a virtual presentation where you can invite your young people to be a part of that. So there's a lot of different ways we can do it. So I'd love to chat with you later and maybe Dr. Rowe can help us come up with a way to, to engage the audience and maybe the young people, that next generation in uh, the story. Does I that, love that Mike. Yes. Thank you. We'll, we'll make sure that happens. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for your question. Awesome. Yes, I, I would um, envision Zoom because that's something that I don't want them to just hear. I want them to see it. I mean, it's just that impactful, knowing this story, seeing it, and having your family continue the legacy of sharing it. So thank you so very much. I know we had two other questions on the mic here, but I want to, before I get to those two people, I also want to introduce you to my dear friend, uh, just to the right uh, up above uh, Rolanda is Amelia. Um, Amelia, are you around? I just want you to meet my mentor, my other mentor, Miss Deborah Watts that lives here near me. Go ahead if you want to say something, Amelia. I am just so honored to be here. Deborah, you are a absolute inspiration powerhouse and you force us all to be become better humans. So I thank you for every step that has led you here today. And this segment, Dr. Rowe, has been beyond impactful. Thank you both. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate you so much to Amelia and others who continue this story and the legacy over and over again. So I know, let's see, we had um, Linda, did you have a uh, comment? And then we have Pastor Jeff. Hi, Dr. Rowe. Hi, Ms. Deborah. Thank you so much for this. I just want wanted to, um, to tell you that the story is told. I, I know I remember my daughter, she went to the African American History Museum. And of all the things that she saw there, she just, I could hear the emotion that she had when she saw the Emmett Till there. I mean, it's just like, I remember her. I think she said she was crying so much that all her classmates were coming to her to, you know, because she was just in pain with regards to seeing it and reading it. So, you know, we are teaching our children about what has happened historically. And so I just wanted to thank you for your fight. And I just um, thank you for being here. Thank you, Dr. Rowe, for bringing these fabulous people that have shaped you to be the awesome person that you are. So thank you. I'm honored to be here, Ms. Deborah and Dr. Rowe. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. I appreciate it. And one, one thing I do want to say, um, and I you know, I talked more about the institutions, you know, and the curriculum there. But I'll tell you, yes, in families, um, uh, when they're having the talk, quote unquote, <laughs> it's usually about 
and they usually make a reference to Emmett Till, especially uh, as it relates to our our relationship uh, relationships, uh, warnings about you know interracial marriages or interracial relationships. Emmett's name was a name that was brought as a warning uh, to many families, and even today is 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 used. Um, also. Um, you know, so it, it is, I don't want to say folklore, but it is part of the talk that families have that aren't necessarily amplified on television or in a textbook or, or whatever. Uh, but amongst families, yes, it is it is shared. And um, it is um, something that that is necessary uh, to, to talk about what happens in America, what happens to our human rights. And here's a perfect example of it. And so when we make that reference in history, uh, it, it, it is important to include him. But that does not ignore all of those that came before Emmett, please. It doesn't ignore any of those. But because he's my cousin, I, you know, a little bit selfish uh, way, I do, you know, that's where my passion is. But we certainly do stand in solidarity with all those other families. And we do honor the stories and the, uh, the talks that people have. That happens today. And the Karens now are, are starting to make reference to the Carolins. And so, and so the original Karen is Carolyn, Carolyn Bryant, who now is Carolyn Bryant Donham. Come on. That's the, that's the original Karen. So if you want to update and bring some smoke, <laughs> as someone said earlier, to your conversation and your references, use Carolyn. And then that way, if people don't understand that, you have a wonderful opportunity. It's a teachable moment, you know, to kind of share with them just a little bit about uh, that tragedy that happened. But let's then move it towards triumph, and that is the action that we need to take going forward. So I appreciate that comment. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pastor Jeff, you have a comment. Go ahead. Thank you so very much, Dr. Roe. Grand evening to you, to the legendary Rolanda, who I watched when I was growing up, and to Miss Deborah for this interview. Uh, indeed, it is um, very impactful. Um, I, too, as Linda's daughter, uh, was just overwhelmed with the National Museum of African American History and Culture of the exhibit for Emmett Till, which I believe when I went was uh, the most popular. Uh, I definitely um, was touched by it. But as we look at that, uh, my question for you, Miss Deborah, is as we look at the history, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, doing the civil rights movement, born in the late 50s, uh, was there for the riot, National Guards right outside of my house, um, a time that I will never forget. And with Rosa Parks and Mrs. King, both uh, seeing both of them um, as speakers there during the civil rights movement. My question for you is, do you have any idea or an opinion on why it is that Claudette Colvin, who um, several months prior to Miss Rosa Parks gave up, who de refused, I'm sorry, refused to give her her seat to a white man on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama, is not as celebrated as Rosa Parks. This is Pastor Jeff. I inspire others to move from the mindset of a victim to the mindset of a victor. And that's my question for you, Miss Deborah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. 
Um, well, Claudette, yeah, Cla Claudette was um, uh, led the way. Uh, Claudette um, was became pregnant, pregnant, as I understand it, and uh, was not, you know, and back in '55, of course, we. You know, strategically, uh, it was thought that we had to present well, right? Our case, our our, our personhood, you know, um, our stories, and what we look like drove a lot of opinions and behaviors and our lifestyles as well. So, uh, uh, I believe that 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 uh, Carolyn um, or Claudette, excuse me, um, uh, was pregnant. And uh, her, um, just that image uh, was not something that the movement wanted to uh, push forward. Um, and so if anybody else, someone else may have an opinion about that, but that was a fact that I was made aware of to answer your question. Not that that was right, <laughs> but that is um, what influenced the behavior to kind of delay and then move forward with, with Rosa Parks from a strategic perspective. Thank you for that answer. It makes me cringe, um, but I'm also aware from reading the history that Martin Luther King was not uh, the first choice uh, for the movement either. And, yeah. and, and so he, he was preferred over someone else and, Whoever wants to know who that else that someone else is, you have to do your own history. This is Pastor Jeff, and thank you very much, Miss Deborah. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yes, indeed. So I just want to get a la the last few flashes that I did it that I missed, and I'm scrolling again. I see you, Tariko. Want to make sure you guys get a chance to talk to you, and I see you, Miss Kimberly, as well. And then before I go to you, just really quick, Doctor J, are you around? Dr. J, are you there? I don't know if you can hear me, but if if you're um, not muted right now, we'll get a chance to talk to you. But I definitely want to co connect you with Deborah, um, not only because you're from Chi Town, but so much um, in common with what you teach, what you do, and I want to make sure that you guys um, connect for sure. So with that, let me go back up, and I see you, Ella, too. Let's go back up to Tariko. Go ahead. First of all, thank you so much, Dr. Rowe, for this room. And Aunt Deborah, so good, such an honor uh, to meet you and hear you speak. Uh, being from uh, Jasper, Alabama, born and raised, um, and hearing you talk about this and share this, uh, I did grow up in school learning of this, um, learning about this and know this. It was a part of uh, uh, the culture um, where I was raised. And so, uh, it was never far from from me as in my childhood experience. Um, and I'm so happy to have had the honor to attend the HBCU, Historically Black College and University in Alabama, and uh, get a lot of that rich history uh, and the stories that they didn't talk about uh, growing up in high school and grade school. We did get a lot of those stories and the truths, uh, if you would, about those stories at the HBCU. Uh, but I, I, I definitely want to say that I really appreciate uh, the generational mindset that you guys at your foundation are having and thinking about the next generation because 
me being an educator, working in education for the past 15 years, um, I definitely see uh, that the history is only told through a particular lens. And um, and that narrative needs to uh, be stronger for our students, our black and brown students, uh, for them to know the true history of our heritage. And I would love to, at some point, sit down and talk with you guys, your organization, um, about my platform, which is Exposure Mentor Academy for middle school and high school students. Um, and, and having that voice on the platform so I just want to thank you guys for the work that you're doing and and see if there's any way that I can be a part of helping uh, get your voice out there even more. Thank you. That would be truly a blessing. And uh, as Dr. Rowe had mentioned about the blessings, that's one of them. <laughs> People that get it, that understand uh, where the connection is in our work. And we may, may not be as eloquent and definitive in describing what we do, because uh, it is a lot. But um, when when people get it, and that is, you know, the, the future, um, uh, we have to make sure that they're grounded um, and that they have a strong foundation. And if they don't understand their history, we know that, you know, they're moving forward is misguided, can be misguided in a way. And so we're trying to do as much as we can with that. But thank you so much. I look forward to the opportunity with anyone that can see this connection and how uh, Emmett's story, our experience, um, and, you know, it's coming from an authentic place. It's not something we make up. And we are turning our pain to passion. You know, we truly are doing it. We are doing the work. But it's hard, <laughs> and we can't do it alone. That's what we recognize, and we have to make sure that we pour into our young people and that they pour into us. And so thank you for recognizing that, and, and I look forward to uh, connecting. Please follow uh, us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and uh, that's a good way you know, to connect with us. And I look forward to doing a, a Zoom you know, with breakfast. Uh, with with champions and and maybe your audiences too. So uh, I'm look for I'm looking forward to the future. Thank you and thank you for mentioning HBCU uh, schools because uh, I don't think you know it's often that we recognize the value there and the kinds of things that are being taught there. In fact, someone that was in the room earlier I saw was Joanne Clark that does a HBCU college tour um, from the Minneapolis area to. Uh, all of the schools, uh, uh, you know, the past couple years because of COVID was able to do it virtually. But I'll tell you, those young people come back um, or, you know, as they move forward in their education, their lives are changed forever. And so we uh, do uh, support that organization and all organizations that are doing something similar to that. So it is important. And HBCUs are the way to go for some students that... Um, need that extra boost and those that need to have it reinforced what they learned at home. So I wish I had gone to one, didn't go to one, but I wish I had, but my children in the house, my children Amen. did. Yes. Shout it out. Shout out. Those Clark, Clark Atlanta university in the house. Spelman. Grambling college. <laughs> Everybody represent. Like it. Love, Love it. it. Because, because Love that, it. 
tell you, there's that magic there that happens there. There's that fortitude. There's that sense of courage and self-awareness. It's all those things that make powerful people, powerful experiences. And I love it. My daughter went to Clark Atlanta University. I have a granddaughter now at Wake Forest, but I'm just telling you, uh, the difference that that it made with her upbringing elsewhere, you know, in the Midwest to where she is today. She's not leaving Atlanta and not leaving that area. But I just admire it. And I know the gold and the magic that happens there. And not to say, you know, the Nebraska's, the Minnesota's and the Harvard's and the others don't or the or the how and the Howard's HBCU, but that the that those schools aren't, you know, pushing forth. Uh, quality, you know, and, and students with education, but there's some magic happening with those HBCUs. And then when you've got shout out, uh, st- sorry, Rolanda, but any of the divine nine represented there, that's another level of connectedness and power as well. So. <laughs> hey, hey, can I tell you about there's my There's a lot on the stage. <laughs> so I promise you, I don't want to start having people like, you know, make their noises uh, right at the moment, but I know you're here. <laughs> um, and I see your daughter in the audience. I know she can't talk. Uh, Tony did go to Clark Atlanta and we shout you out. Thanks for being here, Tony. And thanks for listening. I saw Terry earlier as well. Just so thankful. Um, and I know that Ella had a comment or a question. I want to make sure that um, that happens. And then we have one other person that we want to introduce you to. So go ahead, Ella. Thank you so much, Dr. O. And hello, everybody on the stage, and particularly Deborah. Thank you for sharing your story and the journey to where you are so far. Clearly, you can hear I have an UK accent. However, what I do have in common with you is the fact that my parents were raised in a British colony also. And yes, there are parallels of what's been happening in America with what is happening here. The uh, level of consciousness is such that I think we haven't yet transcended racism and this is the work that is yet to be done. Uh, and so my comment really is that I, I grew up with the backdrop of the death of Martin Luther King, but didn't we weren't taught any information of um, Emmett Till. I discovered that much later on in life at university and through my own studies as well. But what I wanted to ask you specifically is how and what do you do to continue with this fight for justice what is it that keeps you waking up each day and moving towards the ultimate goal and yes keeping our younger generation in mind some cultures say that we need to make decisions for 12 to 25 generations to come but my question is really what fortifies you, what gives you the strength to continue, because we have seen how challenging these situations can be. And, you know, all over the world, sometimes this is um, something that we have to face on a day to day basis. So that's that's my question to you. What is it specifically you do that you can suggest to really keep body, mind, soul and spirit together to continue the fight, the good fight, if you like. Thank you so much. My name is Ella. I am complete. Ella, thank you. 
for that question, um, I'll have to tell you, I, sometimes I ask myself that same question. Um, I do have a really strong spiritual foundation and relationship uh, with God and um, have given uh, the direction in my life over to uh, that. So when a door opens, I just walk through it. I sometimes don't know what's on the inside, the outside, the downside, the upside, but that's the kind of faith that I have. And I think about the courage of Mamie Till Mobley. Uh, and then I, I figure, you know, this work, this is nothing compared to what she had to face. And that was my relative. That was my cousin. That's my blood. And so what little that I can do to contribute uh, to keep the fight going that she started, uh, I think about my grandchildren and I think about the world I want them to be in. Um, I look at their faces and the hopes and dreams that they have. That keeps me going. Um, my own children who are grown women, but uh, you know, there are fights that they still have to face, whether it's uh, at the, in the workplace, in their communities. And so this is so important uh, that um, I try to, to use my life um, to make sure it's on purpose, you know, that there is a purpose to it and that I'm serving in a way. And, you know, we all don't, um, and Wheeler Parker, Reverend Wheeler Parker, who is, um, the person that traveled from Chicago to Mississippi with Emmett, he always says, you know, just if you just stay in your lane, you'll be okay. You don't try to cross over in other people's lanes. You just stay in your lane. But that means a lot. Before when he was saying that, I was like, what do you mean by that? You know, um, I'm multitasking. I have a lot of abilities to move in different silos, right? But um, it really makes a lot of sense. And uh, that that's what I'm I'm trying to do and and to continue to be focused and not be distracted by other things other shiny things that take me off my mark you know whether it's an opportunity to be interviewed here or there to go speak here if it doesn't have any alignment with uh, my work around the justice for Emmett Till then I have to politely bow out or say no. So I really try to stay focused on that, and that keeps me on purpose, um, and it and it feels so good because it is a part of my passion and and my life right now. So um, that that's it. I just wake up not knowing what today is going to bring, not even knowing. Um, you know, Dr. Rowe does a wonderful job, I believe, of 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 uh, preparing uh, the speakers and and the folks that she interviews. I couldn't find the, the information she sent me, right? So this just comes from the heart. And I just pray that anything that I say or what I do and my walk, wherever I, whatever room I walk into, that I can leave there uh, feeling good, number one, about myself, and then number two, about hopefully inspiring someone else. And you never really know. I don't have that in, intentional, but that that somehow that might happen. You know, that's not an intention of mine, but somehow that that might happen. So uh, that's what keeps me going. Um, and and self-care, I don't do a lot of that as I probably should, but I had to find, and I think I shared this with Dr. Rowe, I had to find a happy place for me. 
uh, because I've had a lot of other traumatic things that have happened this past year. And um, so with the work, not being distracted, trying to be distracted from that, I had a lot of things that could have derailed and distracted me. So in finding that happy place for me kept me, uh, you know, I could get back on track. I could get back on track. So uh, sometimes we find ourselves being derailed and off track, but we got to find that way to get back. So that that's a thing that encouraged me as well. So I hope that I hope that answers your question or gives you an idea of um, how I keep going. Amazing. Thank you so much. And we thank you. Do you have just a few more minutes? I don't want to keep you over. I have as much time as you need. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that now. We can be here all day. No, I'm just kidding. No. no um, and know. so I, yes, I know that a couple of people message me. They have questions. I have um, another person I'd love to connect you with because of his amazing connections in the music industry, but also with the people he knows to allow you to get Emmett Till's story out there in other ways, whether that be by music or just the people he knows, including Amelia who introduced me to him. But that's Mark MK and he does have a comment for you or a question. Go ahead, Mark MK. Well, thank you, Dr. Rose, salutations to you, thank you. And um, Deborah, I just, wanna, um, I just wanna say thank you thank you for keeping this story alive there is so much going on in the world and news is going off at a rapid pace and things can get lost in transit but you've been passed the baton and you're passing it on to everybody in this room and everybody in this world when you continue your message and i just want to say thank you for keeping that alive because it's so unfortunate that current events is still a thing you know current events is it's nothing new when it comes to Emmett Till, you know, it's, you know, all the, all the, all the things that happened today, you had, you and your family had to live with it in the past, and you're just, it's just a mirror that keeps on going, and you, I can only imagine what you and your family um, go through when you turn on the TV and there's a, another similar incident, but you still find the strength to keep this story, to keep your story, to keep Emmett's story alive, and I just have to really thank you because it takes a lot of courage. I, I, you know, there's a lot I could imagine that you're going through on the back end that you probably don't talk about. You probably talk about them, you know, with your closest family and friends. But, you know, there's some people in this world that don't want that story to be told, that would rather you be muffled and want to, want to silence it. But you find the strength to fight on. You and your family find the strength to fight on and pass that baton on to people that need to know. They need to find out all these youngsters that need to understand that, hey, what you're seeing today, it's nothing new. So, and I just want to, you know, give you your roses and let you hear the tone in my voice when I say thank you for dealing with you, you know, dealing with all that you've dealt with, but continue to pass on this message and pass on that baton. So thank you. Oh, <laughs> ah, thank you. Thank you. I, I hear you. I feel you. I, um, I appreciate, I, I truly appreciate that. Um, and, um, I'm not alone. You know, there are so many others. Um, the, uh, I, I, you know, I just often think of the mothers, you know, Brianna Taylor's mother and, um, the mother of Eric Garner, you know, the mother of Trayvon Martin, the mother of uh, Justin Teagan, the mother of, uh, 
so many others. Cherish Crutcher. There's um, Ahmaud Arbery's mother. You know, there's so many like Mamie who, uh, and you know, and I, and I have to say this, Mamie is the one. I, you know, I I can't take credit for uh, much because she she did provide the blueprint for how do you stand in your pain and push forward for justice for your loved one. She provided that blueprint for uh, the mothers who have stood with dignity and class and have been very uh, definitive and, and, and determined about fighting for justice for their children. So, you know, I have to give it, give Mamie Till Mobley uh, uh, the honor and, 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 and I just love her and appreciate her. And she's the spirit in which you know, along with God, the spirit in which I move, you know, through through a lot of the things that I have to move through, because I know she moved through so much more. But I do truly appreciate that. But but just honoring uh, the memory of Emmett and, and, and the courage of his mother is is so important. And I do want to say this, that, yes, there are uh, museums and uh, memorials that are all over this country. Uh, but the one that is impactful is the one uh, with, at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And if you've not gone there to the Emmett Till exhibit, um, uh, I, I, and, I mean, if you do, I want to invite you there, but it, 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 it does something to you because you're looking at the original casket that Emmett was uh, buried in, um, the casket with the glass cover. So with, with thousands of people who were able to see his remains, which looked nothing like that beautiful, hazel-eyed uh, young man, 14-year-old young, young boy, I should say, uh, looked nothing like him, his remains that people were able to see. So, you know, this is a fight. It, that, and that face and that image is the ugliness of what racism is. So when we ignore... Um, things that are happening today, we're ignoring the ugliness that's part of our DNA in America. And when we look at Emmett's picture that of his remains, be reminded of that. But then also understand that um, we need to move forward. So that's the only thing that I try to do is move forward. So I appreciate, I appreciate your comments and, and it, it, it warms my heart uh, and warms my spirit. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that question. Um, I can tell you with certainty, Deborah is one of the most genuine hearts I've ever met. I moved in, to Minnesota in 91. And um, upon meeting her, um, she's just always been there, been a champion, a warrior, and someone who freely gives of resources without asking for anything in return. Um, you know, here, do you want to write a book? Let me tell you how, you know, all these things without asking for anything. And she amplifies women and men and children and her own daughters and grandchildren. So she's definitely someone to know. And if you're not following her here and on any other social media platform, I encourage you to please do so and definitely help her to keep Emmett Till legacies um, 
memory alive and to get justice, not only because he's her cousin, but because it's the right thing to do. So we thank you for being in this room and listening. I know, Louis, you had a comment you wanted to add. And if there's any last few minute people that wanted to flash to make a comment or question, please do so. I'd like to respect the Breakfast with Champions room and shut it down. But Sarah said we can keep on talking. I don't want to talk all night, though. But OK, so we'll go to um, Louis, then uh, Noah and D DZ, I think it is. I'm seeing you um, there. So go no, I just wanted to say thank you for the work that you're doing with him and It's been a great talk. You had mentioned the magic that's uh, involved with uh, HBCUs, and I experienced that. Uh, you know, I went to Clark Atlanta University. When I went down there, I had transferred from the University of Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, just got a couple of people that took me underneath their wing at um, Clark Atlanta and uh, was fortunate enough to come out with uh, seven job offers before I graduated. And you would have, like, when I went when I went there, you would have never thought that would happen. But that magic that you spoke about, it, yes. it was poured into me. And uh, I just wanted to also comment on that, that it was the best experience I ever had in my life. Changed my life. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And then we have uh, Noah and then DZ. Go ahead. Hi, um, everyone. Great to be with you. Um, I, it's amazing. Um, I, I just can't even imagine that people, just the whole thing of racism and hate, and it just doesn't even make sense to me. You know, it's just like to me, every person is so precious and so special. And I just, I can't even imagine that you guys had to endure so many horrible things. Um, and I always thought growing up, you know, I'm Jewish and there's a lot of people who hate Jewish people too. And um, I always thought that when I was young is when I walk into a room, nobody knows right off the bat that I'm Jewish, you know, but when a black person walks into a room, people know that they're black and, and it makes it so much easier for people to be racist against someone. Um, and it's just, it's horrible. It's, it's just, it's, it's horrible. I used to wish that everybody was the same color just so, you know, we could all be the same and nobody I love the differences but I, I just I can't understand how people can hate and because of a skin color like we're all just exactly the same we're all people with feelings and beautiful souls and purpose and it just it doesn't make sense and that's the part of life that I'll never really be able to wrap my brain around because I I'm just all about love and compassion and connection and and helping others no matter who they are and that's the hardest part for me to understand, but I stand with you. I stand with all of you to stop the stigma, to stop the hate, to stop, um, you know, just thinking that anybody's better than anybody else. It's, it's just doesn't make sense. And I hope this world can change and, and be accepting of all because, you know, um, treat people the way you want to be treated, period. It doesn't matter where they're from, what they believe in. It does. It shouldn't matter. What should matter is that we're all, we all have feelings. We all we all have, you know, hopes and dreams, and we should all be for each other, no matter what religion we are, or what what we believe in. So I just wanted to say that, and I'm grateful. I actually had to to um, I don't want to seem like ignorant, but I had to Google Emmett to see what you guys were all talking about because I came in the room a little late, and I must have missed a little bit of this history. I was born in Israel, so I didn't grow up in this country my whole life. But I just want to tell you that um, you do an amazing work, and I stand with all of you to make this world a better place. Thank you. Thank you, Noah. 
and thank you for Googling. That's There's no problem with that. There are a lot of us that, um, that forgot, and then there are some that have no clue, and that's the beauty of this, and that's why this is such a blessing to have this opportunity to uh, hopefully open the eyes of, you know, this is the reality. I mean, we all have, and I appreciate your, you know, this universal thing about our humanness, but our history tells us that is not shared by everyone and that's the reality of it that's the the truth of it that's the reality of it and we need to acknowledge it and i think when we don't acknowledge it is when we continue uh some of the undercutting that is happening some of the uh and these are murderous things that are occurring you know in our country but i i appreciate you taking that next step and taking a look uh, and then also hopefully you'll do more and then if you've got children or family members you can share that uh, history um, and what's happening today with them as well but thank you for your comment thank you so much we appreciate you um, for answering asking that Noah and I appreciate where you come from I got a chance to spend time in Israel a couple years ago and just love it um, love the area so thank you so much um, and now we have DZ that has a comment or a question. Go ahead. Dr. Rowe, thank you so much for this opportunity. And Deborah, thank you so much. In 1969, I went to Alabama, 17-hour ride with my father, who was born in Alabama, to bury his grandmother. And for 17 hours, I was drilled on not to look at a white woman, not to talk to a white woman, don't do anything. And that was my first introduction to Emmett Till. And Deborah, you were talking about the trauma that was caused by that. I'll be 60 this year. Um, I've gone to all part because that was what my father wanted. Growing up in segregation, I felt like that would be a better education for me. But to this day, I've never dated, never been with, never talked to a white woman and still feel trepidation even now if I'm in a room with white people and I'm the only black person in there. Um, and it's just something that, you know, you, you can't even explain to people when you've been impacted by that. Um, I, I want to thank you for sharing, Deborah, and I, I will be in touch with you all um, to do some things with you. Um, but I did an interview on a radio show that I host and, and the topic of the show was, why are Jews taught to remember and Blacks taught to forget? And I had uh, a Jewish activist on the show along with a Black nationalist. And we, we set the parameters so it wasn't about whose scars were deeper or worse. We weren't going to compare the Holocaust to the transatlantic slave trade. We just wanted to talk about remembering. And the conclusion that we came to was that the reason Jews are taught to remember and Blacks taught to forget is because uh, the Jewish community has taken responsibility to teach their children their own history. Whether it's agreed upon or not, it doesn't have to be a part of school curriculum. They really don't care. They're going to teach their own children. And we have literally put the education of our children in the hands of the descendants of our oppressors. And 
the only correlation I can draw from that is if Jewish children were put in schools and they were taught by the descendants of Nazi Germany, they would have been taught that the Holocaust was a figment of their imagination and they need to forget. So Deborah, thank you for teaching us to remember. And I want to do all that I can to help you as well. This is DC Cofield. Thank you. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I'm sorry about the trauma that that still uh, is a shadow over you and there and you're not alone. Um, and th those are the things that that pain me because um, I think about my grandchildren, you know, and when I'm speaking and they're like, you know, seeing me do an interview on CNN or or, you know, MSNBC, I want them to get the essence of it, not the fear of it. You know what I'm saying? I don't want them to carry that. I want them to get the hope of it. And I, I just want to encourage you to, you know, if you do radio show, there you go. You have an opportunity to break, make a breakthrough for yourself. Those things that you've never done, create that opportunity to make that breakthrough because you've got a lot to offer. And your story is, is one that you can share. And making that breakthrough is, is doing that one thing that you've never done. You know, so I want to encourage you uh, to do that. But I appreciate you uh, sharing that. And um, the show that it sounds like what you had and just, just narrowing that down to, you know, what we remember, which is true. And I'll, and I'll tell you, one of the things I do want to say is that... Um, Typically, our you know any remembrance that happens with uh, uh, African Americans, um, it's typically not the those that have been victimized that have the opportunity to get the resources to make that happen. It's typically those that have been at the hands of those that have uh, caused the pain, um, because we. We celebrate those that say, oh, I can remember and I'm going to put some money in this. But then it's, you know, the profit and the profiting uh, and the benefactors are never those that look like us. So I don't know why in our country we can't um, we, we can't bring ourselves to make sure that we're good, you know, that those that are the victims, and I hate to call it victims, but victors, but that are victoriously living through their pain, um, that that they don't get the resources to remember, to be a part of building, um, to recover, uh, to get the kind of resources they need. But others can. And, and there are a couple of states, and I'm in one of them, which I call Mississippi sometimes, <laughs> uh, Minnesota, um, has a really good uh, uh, way of, of, of allowing you know, grants and others to go to others that are choosing to, and I'm going to say, quote, unquote, remember, or to come up with a program that uh, targets uh, the victims, if you will. We just have a problem in our country with flipping the script on that. Um, and I'll just say this, that sometimes those that colonize are the ones that are rewarded um, and continue to profit and be the benefactors of our pain. 
but I'm working to try to change that with uh, Verma. With Verma, uh, the VRMMA, Victims of Racially Motivated Murder Act, and the uh, Emmett Lewis Till Victims Recovery Program. But thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And I'm going to round it out. Um, our official clubhouse auntie is on the stage, Auntie Anita. She would like to um, share something with you, but I know she's also emotional coming from the South in Alabama. Auntie Anita, are you ready? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Dr. Rowe. Uh, thank you, uh, Miss Deborah, for coming on. Um, I know it wasn't easy. I told Dr. Rowe, I'm like, I'm getting so emotional. Although I wasn't even born when it happened, I just remember uh, my family, my uh, dad and my mom, they moved us to uh, a predominantly white neighborhood. And we, along with one other family, integrated the school, the grade school. And that was rough. That was tough. But we had a teacher there. She was a white teacher, but she wasn't from Birmingham, Alabama. And by the way, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, where they once renamed it Birmingham after they bombed the, the church. Um, but she made sure, she was my fourth grade teacher. She made sure that I knew the story of Emmett Till, Martin Luther King, and one other uh, person that was gunned down. I can't remember. Uh, his name, I see his family, I can't remember, but she made sure that we knew that story, and we knew the history behind that story, and I, I often thank God for my parents who brought us up, it was seven of us, and they brought us up in a home where we were just taught to love, and she said, yes, the children looks different from you, and yes, it's more than them than it is of you. But we're all the same in God's eyes. And that's what they taught us. Love them. Uh, and so I thank you because I know that cousins are your, are your first best friends. Like, I'm very close to my cousins. They're like my sisters and brothers. But I want to thank you for sharing your story, uh, your life. And I know it's, it never gets easy. But to know that you're living out and you're keeping alive his legacy, although he died a horrible death. Uh, you're able to live and keep the legacies living and to create change and make change in a world where it seems like it's getting better, but we know some, you know, it's hitting things going on. But I thank you for being one of the, the, the people that is invoking and, and keeping up the standards of making and bringing change. I'll forever remember you in my prayers because if I'm choked up about it, then I just can't even imagine how you are. Thank you, Dr. Rhodes, for this amazing opportunity. Uh, I'm done speaking. Thank you, Auntie. <laughs> Thank you, Anita. Um, and yes, it is. It is emotional. It is. It is. Um, I get uh, choked up. Um, um, but you know, as I mentioned earlier, I have to think about Mamie. You know, I have to think about Emmett's mother and what she had to bring herself from the brink of despair to back to fighting. Um, and just thinking about our future and our young people that uh, have this world that they've got to navigate their way through. Uh, but you're right. Um, the, the, you know, there are teachers um, that, that 
you know, <laughs> they, they, they risked, you know, sharing that story, sharing Emmett's story, you know, or you, you found yourself, you know, with your grandparents or even your parents and you heard about Emmett's story and some people, you know, were traumatized, you know, by it, but it was something they never, they never forgot. And what I'd like for people to do is to have both sides, you know, to know how he lived and then to understand, you know, yes, there was, there was, you know, tragedy, uh, that, that did occur. And now we're moving forward toward, towards triumph that moves us through that journey. It empowers us, you know, to move forward and, and helps us work through these tears and being, you know, choked up as well, uh, because we're doing something. So when you, you know, amplify Emmett's name, when you do a hashtag Emmett Till, or you uh, sign that petition, you text Emmett to 243-725, you're doing something. You know, even if you 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 can't march and get out and protest with some of us, <laughs> you know, because I do stand in solidarity with many of the families. And I really, you know, I try to be present there because I want them to know the past is not past until justice is served, you know, so that then when we can stand in solidarity with, with the Maud Arbery's family or George Floyd's family and uh, Trayvon Martin's family and Eric Garner's family, um, not only does it mean something to us, but it means something to them. And then we need the world to see that we're unified in our pain, but we're moving forward towards uh, power. You know, we're using us. So that's what moves all of us through our tears and cho and being choked up. And you're right, it happens. It happens. It's natural. It's human. You know, it's human nature to do it. But again, text, hashtag, uh, support us in whatever way you can. Invite us. Um, there's some wonderful things happening in Chicago. I think I even saw uh, Blacks in Green who has who's moved forward with a uh the house that Emmett was was in was raised in they're moving forward towards making that a museum so people are using their skills and their and their ingenuity you know and their ideas their platforms to open these doors so people are forced to remember are forced to remember but then we have to also call out those when we don't see justice on the side of what they're working on because that that justice is still something we need to achieve we need to call them out you know when we see a uh, uh an initiative that's going on and just say well have you connected them with Emmett Till's family or have you have you know are you signed up working on the justice campaign or is this just profiting your effort you know where's the purpose process and the payoff for an initiative or a goal that the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation or the Emmett Till's family has, or that Ahmaud Arbery's family has. This is a, these three P's are for all of those families who sometimes they're, you know, sometimes are, are a little um, disenchanted and discouraged by people that have taken advantage of them or that they feel that they've taken advantage of. Uh, so no one wants to be, you know, felt like they've been taken advantage of. Um, but those three P's help us all, keep us all on track. You know, what is the purpose? What is the process? And then what's the payoff? How is it mutually beneficial? So that, that, that brings me through that, that, those painful parts. But thank you, Auntie. Thank you, Anita.
thank you so very much. And we just so appreciate you taking the last two hours, even though I told you an hour, <laughs> to <laughs> sit with us <laughs> and uh, just share your heart and advocate for your cousin, for this cause, for justice, to give us lots of necessary history, Black history, that is important, that, you know, even caused others to go and research right where they're on this app. So that's what this is all about, is education, motivation, inspiration. We are part of the Breakfast with Champions family, and we consider you a part of the Breakfast with Champions family now, forever, and always, and you are always welcome at our table. Can we unmic and just give Deborah Watts, a warm uh, thank you for coming on our stage. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much, Miss Deborah Watts. I'm so honored. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Dr. Rowe, and thank the Breakfast with Champions. This has been amazing. Uh, I love your questions, your energy, and uh, I will be back. I'm not on Clubhouse often, but this may be uh, a way for me to to even heal a little bit more and to um, push back some of those tears and to push forward some of that justice and um, my passion. So I, I, I appreciate it. I do truly appreciate it. My heart goes out to all of you and your causes and what you're trying to accomplish as well. In, in solidarity and in peace and justice, I appreciate all of you. Thank you. We appreciate you as well. And Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.